0: How many of you were here last week and you heard about Let's Take Three that we did and we said what we're going to do today? How many of you were here? How many? Let's do it the other way. How many were not here? We asked people to read the first and second chapter of Esther for today. I was going to teach it last week. I was going to just do the first part, a couple of chapters, because a little group over here, they've been forbidden to read the Old Testament just yet, And but we talked about how the man who just read the words in red accomplished a whole lot in ministry. And I'm I'm not saying that's all he read. He didn't stop there. He read more later. But that's how easy started him out. And just reading the words in red, it ignited his life so that he started a ministry later. It's all over in prisons all over Texas. 80,000 inmates have been affected by it and impacted by it by his faith-based curriculum. And so even if you're just reading the New Testament right now, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek into some Old Testament stuff today, like I said. But we talked about how there's a surface meaning in many of the things in the Bible. But then if you dig deeper, there's a little more. It's like painting for gold. You can get what's on top. And some men in the the gold rush, you know, got some rocks off the top and they made some money, but some stayed and dug and they got a whole lot more out of it. And so we talked about that last week and we did some examples of it. So today we're going to go to the book of Esther chapter one and two. I'm just going to do this part. Next week, we're going to have something else. I I think Alan's going to be preaching next week. Isn't that right? Is it you? Okay. Yes. Okay. And today we're just going to do one and two to give us an example of how when we read the word, we can go there and God is saying something and it's historically accurate and it's true and it's right. But yet there's something for us that's personal and intimate and, and very tangible in the moment. And so we just have to know how to hear from him in that way and open our hearts and our spiritual eyes and ears. I love the scripture in Acts seventeen twenty eight that says in him, I live and move and have my being. In him, I live and move and have my being. But how do I get to that place that that's really a reality and it's not just words I'm saying? The book of Esther, I told you last week that I heard a woman teach on this in 1980 and I took notes. And then in 98, I did a three-part series and today I want to do part from that. But there's a debate, actually, among many scholars over whether it should have even been included in the Bible. And chronologically, now it should have been, but people like to debate all kinds of things. But chronologically, it actually occurred between the sixth and the seventh chapter of Ezra. There's debate over who wrote it. Was it Ezra? Was it Nehemiah? Was it from writings of Mordecai? Did Esther write part of this? And someone maybe transcribed it later. So there's all that. But a casual look at the book, it seems to show, I heard that somebody read it last night and they said, well, you know, Haman's a jerk and Asua Harris isn't a very great guy. And Esther's brave and Vashti, you know, it's really Vashti, but I want to call her Vashti because it's quicker to say that way. Vashti just is just being Vashti. And the truth is, when you look at it, it's like the story of a selfish, maybe drunk king who got mad at his wife and got a younger woman. The name of God is not even mentioned in this book once, in all 10 chapters. There's no quote in the New Testament from the book of Esther. The law is not mentioned. Sacrifices and offerings are not mentioned. So you're like, what? But if you take a closer look, you will know, you will notice that it occurs in a 10-year period Between 485 and 465 BC in the reign of a Persian monarch named Xerxes, he ruled over a vast empire. His Hebrew name was Ahasuerus. The Jews had been commanded by Isaiah and Jeremiah to return to the land of Palestine after a 70-year exile to rebuild the temple and to set up again their sacrificial system to God. And for some reason, and it doesn't tell us why, Mordecai and Esther and many others had not done that. How many times have God told you to do something and you didn't exactly do it? So you find yourself in another place and God's moving over here, but you're still here because you didn't do what he said. But even in their lack of spiritual awareness or even in their lack of desire to zealously follow after what the prophets had been saying, they seem to at least have this confidence. So even if you're in the wrong place, even if you didn't obey him when he told you the last thing, even if you maybe even disobeyed him or resisted him, If you have confidence that God will protect you, that God loves you, he will get you to where you need to be from where you are. Students of the Bible have discovered that the Hebrew name for Lord, Y-H-W-H, and I teach on that in Blood Covenant, but they didn't use the vowels, just the consonants, and so it's Y-H-W-H, Yahuwah, uh, is in acrostics several times in this book. Also, any reference to God that they would have actually put would have been censored. We had a young woman who came to our church many, many years ago. Her name was Paige, and she traveled to China. And when she was there, she would write us back, but her letters could not say, God is doing this, or I spoke about, to the people about Jesus. She would have to go, my father is saying X, Y, Z, you know, uh, my boyfriend, that was Jesus, my boyfriend, <laughs> the people really liked to hear about him. Because had she said God or Jesus, it would have been censored, and we wouldn't have been able to, to get the correspondence. And so such as it was here, they were in a land where you could not make reference to the things of God, and so it would have been censored. And so it, it makes sense that the name is not mentioned in the whole book. And so prayer is not mentioned. Fasting, however, is. And fasting in sackcloth and ashes is even mentioned. And that was a Jewish spiritual practice. Nehemiah probably became the cupbearer because of Esther's influence over the king. And thus the walls were rebuilt. So a seemingly insignificant decision by one person can historically down the road have all kind of amazing ripple effect ramifications. So something you do today that's right, you may never see it. Easy didn't know when he told that man, you need a Bible. You're from that church. You never read a Bible. You need a Bible. Let me get you a Bible. Start reading the words. He didn't know that that man was going to start a ministry, that 80,000 incarcerated men would then go through that faith-based curriculum that that man would start. The obedient decision that you operate in today can have far-reaching effects down the road. So this seemingly unspiritual book begins to reveal some very important spiritual principles. Most people who've read more of the Old Testament know the scripture in Esther 4.14, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? We sort of use that as a little cliche phrase sometimes. Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? But the moral really is that God can overrule the work of the enemy no matter how hopeless your situation seems. No matter how hopeless, no matter what you're going through, no matter how it seems like this is the end, what am I going to do? I don't have an answer. God can overrule the enemy. Now, he can't overrule you. He can overrule the enemy. He can't overrule you. He doesn't take away your free will. So you still have a choice in the matter. And a lot of things we attribute to the enemy that maybe are some stuff in us that we need to deal with. But he can overrule the enemy. So we're going to look at this book of Esther using a key. And you know on a map you'll find a key and it'll tell you how to interpret things. And so we talked about types and shadows last week. No type is perfect. It will fail somewhere. So when I use this as an analogy, it won't mm, work all the way across the board, but there will be principles there that will remain unchanged. So the king in this book... Even though he got drunk, Jesus never got drunk. Jesus turned water into wine. He didn't get drunk though. But the king is going to represent Jesus in this book of Esther for the teaching today. Mordecai is going to be a type or representation of the Holy Spirit. He told Esther what to do, he walked by her daily, he gave her instruction. Esther is the church within the church. And you go, What do you mean the church within the church? You can sit in church and not be the church within the church. You can technically be born again. You can legally be a child of God, but you may not have a desire and a love and be in love with Jesus. And there's a church within the church that wants more of him. There's the church within the church that's passionate about him. And so sometimes we go back and forth. We become the church, and then God moves in our heart, and we're back in the church within the church. See, we can get cold even sitting on our pew. And so the Esther is the church within the church who was willing to do all that God wanted. There's seven eunuchs that are mentioned. There are young men who serve the king. There's seven uh, days in the the court for the whole feast in the garden. There were seven princes. There were seven handmaidens. Seven is all over this book, and we're not going to go into all the sevens today, but seven symbolizes completion or perfection or fulfillment. And the story starts, though, with an invitation. See, that's how God starts with you. It's an invitation. He invites you to accept him into your heart. He invites you to come close to him. He invites you to receive him. He invites you to believe. He invites you to read the word. He invites you to lay your sins at his feet. He invites you. And so Matthew 22 in the New Testament also talks about a banquet and an invitation was issued. And the father made a feast for a wedding. And some came and some did not. This is just like in the book of Esther. But when the feast began, the father surveyed the guests, and he found that some didn't have on the right garments. And so for every feast, we have to look a certain way. You know, we went to a wedding. We had, I called my hostess, and I said, is this okay to wear? And she goes, yeah, that'll be fine. Because how are you supposed to look? Now, with God, the thing is, we don't have to uh, provide our own garment. He provides it. See, if we don't look right, he says, let me give you this, wear this. I'll provide, I'll put a robe of righteousness on you. And so there's a feast even in the New Testament that parallels this one in the book of Esther. Your garment of righteousness isn't because of your works. It's not because of your behavior modification. Some people come in and they work so hard at changing their behavior. And God says, no, let me change you on the inside. Let me change your desires and you won't want those things anymore. See, there's an easier way to do it. See, if you try really hard, you'll be trying so hard, you'll wear yourself out. And it will seem like this works religion. I was already in that. I left that alone. Now I'm in a relationship. And in that relationship, he does things for me that I can't do for myself. Now, an invitation was issued in the book of Esther to the king's wife. She was the queen. Her name was Vashti, with the long I. But when he issued the invitation, she didn't come. Now, maybe she didn't come because it just wasn't a convenient time for her. Some scholars have said they believe she was pregnant, actually, with the king's son, and she didn't want to show up looking like that because she didn't look her best. I don't know why she didn't come, but how many times do we say, no, God, this is not a good time for me? No, God, can I, wait, I got a lot going on. I know you've asked me to do this, and I know you've asked me to come and sit with you, but, Lord, I have a lot going on, and this is not a convenient time. And so we like to set our times, even in our involvement with the Lord, and we say, okay, God, I'll give you this much, but I need to do this. And, and so Vashti did it too. And we look at her, we might condemn her, but we forget how much it applies to us. So when we're going through this book, Don't think about unsaved people you know. Don't think about the person on the road with you. Think about you. And so God might nudge you when it's not a convenient time. A second invitation, because Vashti did not respond, was issued. A second invitation. If you want to go really deep, even though Esther is a Jew, in this case she can be likened, whoever has ears to hear can hear it, to the Gentiles because The invitation was issued to the Jews, but they did not respond. And so then God issued a second invitation to the Gentiles. And so this Jewish woman might even represent that second invitation. But a second invitation is issued. And the principle here is if you don't do what God wants, he'll find somebody who will. (laughs) His plan won't be thwarted. He will still move on, but you won't get to go. You won't be in on it. You won't be with it. So he's going to do it with you or without you, but he'd like you to respond. But if you don't, he will go on, but maybe he'll have to come back and pick you up later, and you'll just miss out on some things. So sometimes the dealings and pressures of God come, not to build endurance in our life, but really because God is trying to transform us. So we talk about what's what's the aim of our Christian walk? Is it just so that we can... Um, come in and have praise and worship and, and, and have times of excitement? Is it so we can see miracles and signs and wonders? Those are all great things, but really it's transformation. And so we might see all those things and yet not be transformed. And that's so confusing to people. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there's a scripture in here that says that, that um, Haman sat down with Mordecai and the people of Shushan, the city they were in, were confused. The mixture in the church is very confusing to people. See, it's very confusing. And so God wants us to Keep our free will. We do have a choice. He won't force His way on you. But everything out of agreement with Him, He would like us to yield to Him. And He would like us to come into agreement with Him. And there are some things in God that are very freely given. We don't earn our salvation. Jesus' blood paid the price on the cross. We didn't do anything. We don't earn the, it's not, when we come to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, some people think, oh, I'm not good enough. You don't need to be good enough, it's a gift. You don't do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's freely given. It's not earned or deserved. Notice that in the book of Esther, if you read it, if you didn't, you can glance at it if you want to open your phone or your Bible. But it says this odd little thing that drinking was provided. Vessels of every kind were provided, but drinking was not compulsory. None were compelled. According to every man's pleasure, they could partake. That's how it is in church. God doesn't make us take in more of him. We can take as much as we want or as little as we want. We're not compelled. It's not compulsory. There's no penalty if we say, no, I don't want more of you, God. But we just lose out. But then if you notice about the vessels, even the little details that says the vessels were of all kinds and shapes and sizes, we're vessels of honor in God's hand. We're all different. We don't have to be like one another. We don't have to be robots or clones. God can use every one of us and fill us up. We can take in of. of of him as much as we want. And he can pour out of us, but we don't have to be like anybody else. And so that's why he says, don't compare yourselves among yourselves. And so he wants us to become one with the spirit of the Lord. You know, the word baptism means to immerse in the Greek. When you, you put something into a liquid, when it comes out, It has that thing all over it. It looks like if you dye a piece of fabric, you put it in dark blue, you pull out the fabric, it's dark blue. When y'all got baptized in water, you came out wet. You were like the water. And so when we're baptized into Christ, into him, we want to come out looking like him. And so transformation really is the point. But after salvation and after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, There are things that will cost us something. Now, in this manner is how I mean it. It might cost you your anger. You have to let go of it. It might cost you your strong opinions about things that God says let go. It might cost you your judgment of others. It might cost you the hurt or the pain that you want to hold on to, and it's practically your identity. And God says, no, no, there's a new life here for you. Leave that old behind. Leave that old behind. And so, Really, in this situation with with Esther, the Holy Spirit said, Esther, you're lovely. You have potential. You have potential to please the king, but we're going to have to go through some stuff to get you there. And sometimes there are things that we go through to get us to that place where in him, I live and move and have my being. So Esther was individually chosen, just like you. There was an individual rejection or acceptance that she could make of the invitation, just like you. But then there's individual preparation. And so the book in the first two chapters goes into a lot of detail about her individual preparation. And so basically for this young woman, her old life was going to have to be put behind her. And she entered into a new life where things were done to transform her so that she would please the king. So that she would please the king. And the phrase, if it pleases the king, is all over it. And when I read that last time, I thought, wow, God. I remember when I was young and I came to you and I said, Lord, I want everything I do to be pleasing to you. Have I walked away from that? See, do we get hard over time? Do we get busy over time? We start worrying about other people over time. Lord, I want to go back to that young little girl, that fresh one that just says, I just want everything I do to be pleasing to you. See, do we think about that on a day-by-day basis? We get so busy, and sometimes even as Christians, we think, oh, well, those are the sinners, and that's the world, and those are the people who don't believe, right? And and we get so righteous and self-righteous, and and God says, wait, are you pleasing me? Is this this pleasing me, this thought? Is that action, is that judgment, is that opinion pleasing me? Is that thing you just said pleasing me? So if it pleases the king is how I want to be. Now, it's not instant that we are transformed. It's not instant. There's habits and patterns in life, and so there's progressive change. You go, how long is this going to go on? Till the day you die. (laughs) Till the day you die. See, I want to be a learner until the day I go to be with him. Because I don't want there to be anything he's trying to teach me that I'm not willing to learn. And so in this preparation that Esther submits to, the first thing she does is submit there's submission to authority. Mordecai said, I think you need to do this. And she yielded, she yielded to him. And sometimes it's hard to yield because when Mordecai said, you need to do this, she didn't know what it was going to mean. And we don't either. When we come into a relationship with the Lord, we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what steps we're going to take along the way. We don't know what, we don't know step one, two, three, and four. We want to know the end. And God says, no, I'm just going to show you the beginning. And so we've got to trust. How long will it take, God? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Which direction will we go? Just come follow me. See, he just says, come with me, and we've got to trust him. And so Esther says, okay, and she gets taken immediately to Haggai. Haggai means my meditation. If you do a study on the, the names, the definitions of every single unit, every single name mentioned in this book, there's a meaning behind it that actually has application in our lives. But we'll just do a few today. And Haggai means my meditation. So Haggai, the king is a type of Jesus. Esther is a type of the church within the church. Um, Mordecai is a type of the Holy Spirit. But Haggai is a type of the word of God. My meditation, it's what I should meditate on. And the word of God is more important than the words of people. But we have let the words of people define us. We have let the words of people scar us. We have let the words of people stop us. We have let the words of people limit us. And God says, why do you do that? Meditate on my word. What am I saying? See, his word should drown out the words of people if if the words of people have not agreed with his word. And so I need to be asking myself, what does God say? See, even a lot of church tradition and things that we get used to doing may not even be in the word. We need to see what's in the word versus what's just my tradition or what I've gotten used to doing. The Bible says no scripture is of private interpretation, so there needs to be a harmony of scriptures when we go to the word. The, the book of Esther says this, that Esther, the young woman, was given favor by Heggai. If Heggai is a type of the word, how do you obtain favor in the word? How do you obtain favor? By obedience to it. Now, she didn't attain it. She obtained it. There's a difference. See, we think Attain. Like it's an effort on her part. Obtain, it's given freely. You just simply obey and you're given favor. You just simply do what it says. And even if you don't know why you're doing what it says, but you're just doing what it says because you trust, favor comes your way. And so Jesus is all over the book of Esther and you can see him if you look closely. Chapter two, verse 11, it talks about Mordecai walking by and passing by where she was in preparation every day. Mordecai is a type of the Holy Spirit. Haggai is doing the training in her life. But if you have just the word without the spirit, you can get very legalistic. I've heard people use scriptures in the meanest possible ways. I've heard people use scriptures to get their way, try to prove their point, try to condemn somebody, try to try to justify their action. You need the word and the spirit because the letter without the spirit, it kills. And so Mordecai walked by Esther every day while Haggai was training her. You need them both. In the preparation... Chapter two, verse nine, it says this, everything she needs is given to her. Everything she needs is given to her. If she's the type of the church within the church and you're in that group, everything you need will be given to you. And you're gonna need different things at different seasons of your life. Sometimes you might need finances, but sometimes you need confidence. Sometimes you just need patience. And sometimes you need love for somebody that's not very lovable. Everything you need will be given to you. Second Peter, chapter one, two through eight, says that about me: Everything that I need has been given to me. The Bible says, all things that pertain to life and godliness, they're given to me if I will partake of them. And so grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things, everything we need, just like Esther, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we've been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through them you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue to your virtue, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God is going to give you the things you need if you will stand there and avail yourselves of them. There are times when we need a thing and we try so hard in our own strength to figure it out and, and conjure up things within us. And how are we going to deal with this? And God says, wait, let me give you patience. Wait, let, and I know it grows and it's a thing you have to operate in to develop that fruit. But there's times he'll just give you patience for the moment. There's times he'll just drop love on you for somebody that you didn't think you could love. And it makes a huge difference. And so there was a preparation for Esther, just like, practically, there was a preparation for the priests in the Old Testament. There were very similar steps. The first thing that the priests in the Old Testament would do was strip off his old clothes. And so Esther's old clothes didn't work for the preparation that she was going to come into to go before the king. So he was made naked with nothing hidden before God. How many times can you go, God, I'm trying to hide this thing, and I don't want people to see this ugly part of me, but there's a time before him, you just have to go, Lord, go ahead and see it all. Good, bad, and the ugly. I'm standing here. I'm not trying to pretend, God. I just need to be real, and you see it anyway, but now I'm going to be real with me, so I can let you deal with me, and then he can do what you need. Sometimes we try so hard to, like when we go before God, are we trying to, uh, you think he can't see through a facade? (laughs) What good would a mask be when we go before God? You, You think that's too hard for him? And so Really, sometimes we just need to get honest with ourselves. We need to get honest with ourselves. Because until we get to that place, we won't ask him for what we need. Number two, the priest was washed completely all over. This is a type of the washing of the water of the word. Esther, it says that she was bathed and cleansed. She came in, they took off her old clothes. And part of the preparation, she was bathed and cleansed. Then the priest in the Old Testament, he was clothed. He was given a robe of righteousness. It says she was given new garments. In the priest in the Old Testament, it says he was anointed. The the oil was poured upon his head. Esther was anointed with, well, we'll get to that in a minute, with the oil of myrrh and with the oil of cassia and calamus and cinnamon. But see, we're talking about the priest and we're talking about Esther, but we're also talking about you. See, there's things that God wants to smear on you and anoint you and heal up broken places in your heart and do the things that you need to do. There's a healing balm. The Holy Spirit has a healing balm to do the things that you've been wounded in life. When you come to him, we are not whole people. And so there's oil that can come our way to bring healing. There's another step that we go through And sometimes in these steps, we think, well, Lord, if I do this, you'll be happy with me. Or if I do this, you know, maybe you'll be more pleased with me. But really the only if I in the Bible is when Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So you don't need to make those if I choices. He already made the one so that you could be come unto him and your sins are paid for, and he will provide the things you need. After Esther was bathed and cleansed and new clothes were put on her and these preparatory oils were put on her. They put a crown on her head. Crowns are mentioned all over the Bible. In Job 29 14, it talks about the crown of good judgment. And I'll be honest, when I read this last night, I thought a lot of people need this one. The crown of good judgment. You can be a Christian, you can love the Lord and have really bad judgment and have no common sense, and then you wonder why things keep not going well for you, and why God is not answering your prayers, but it, it's like that little thing on Facebook, and I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this, I'll try to come up with a nicer way to say it for church, but it says, I've seen it, I love it, it's my favorite thing, everything happens for a reason, but sometimes the reason is because you're stupid and you make bad decisions, and so, you know, what I mean? <laughs> and, and so the crown of good judgment, some of us really need to, to ask God for it, and go, God. You know, I keep making these bad. I, I wasn't. I wasn't raised to understand how to do things properly. Maybe I wasn't parented right. Maybe I was given poor role models. But Lord, there's a crown of good judgment in the Bible. And one way or another, Lord, you can put it on my head so that I can think straight and make better decisions. In Psalm sixty-five eleven, it talks about the crown of God's goodness. God's goodness. Sometimes I just need to feel the goodness of God because there's badness all around me. The goodness of God, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In 1 Thessalonians 2, it talks about the crown of rejoicing. Some people need a happy face painted on their on themselves because they're just, if we're Christians and the joy of the Lord is our strength, but they just look miserable or sad all the time. And you're like, do I really want to be like them? Is that, what kind of witness is that? And And so... There is a crown of rejoicing that the Bible talks about. And so if we like to be around people that are joyful, why do we think they want to be around us if we're so depressed all the time? In 2 Timothy 4, 8, it talks about the crown of righteousness, not the crown of external behavior modification, but of true righteousness because I know that in Christ I am accepted before God. Now, see, I'm accepted before God, but yet I want to be pleasing in His sight. Those don't contradict one another. He accepts me, but the, the, I want to be pleasing in his sight. That desire comes from my end. The acceptance is from his end. Righteousness is the behavior of holiness, and holiness is actually imparted by God, and it's part of his divine life. The last crown is the crown of life, but the truth is life begins now. Some people go, well, I'm going to live my life once I get the job I like. I'm going to live my life once I graduate from college. I'm going to live the life once I don't have to live at my parents' house anymore. I'm going to live my life once I get married or once I get divorced from the person that's making me miserable. But But really, life is now. We begin right now. Life is right now. If you can't live now, you're not going to do well later when that thing happens. We keep putting off life. No, life begins now, the crown of life, and we don't want to survive or endure, we want to live. There's no real formulas, though, because even with Esther, it talks about the fact that other things were given her than the elements that were listed, other things, but it doesn't specify those things, and so there might be things in your life that you need that I don't need. There might be things that you've gone through that I can't understand, and I don't need God to go to that depth or or to take me that route but he knows the other things you need and you're not gonna come short in other things. And you might think, well, my life's been so screwed up and I mean, they didn't have that and that's why they're doing it. No, God can bring you other things than I have to get you where you need to be. And so he's, you're not gonna be left behind. But there's a, a little, in verse 14, it says there's a guy named Shasgaz, S-H-A-A-S-G-A-Z. And if you look that up, it means one who weans. And at the very end of her preparation, Sasgaz turned her over so that she could go to the king. Sometimes you need to wean off from the old life to step into the new. You need a little Shashgaz in your life. You need to quit thinking about that thing that happened 20 years ago that you can't let go of. You need to forgive that person who stole everything from you 10 years ago, else you can't move forward. So sometimes you need to go back, like God said this morning, to move forward. And so there's a weaning that must take place. And sometimes we don't want to wean. We're like babies. (laughs) We don't want to wean off that thing because it's such a part of us. And, you know, my soul is like a weaned child within me is a scripture. And a weaned child is not clamoring about the thing that it wants. A weaned child is not screaming for things. And there are areas in our life that are screaming out screaming out from past things that happened to us. And God wants, wants us to not be reacting all the time, but acting based on his word. And so there needs to be a waning from the old so that we can truly operate in the new. Verse 15 in the second chapter says, she required nothing when she went before the king except what Haggai had given her. We don't need all these extra trappings. We just need what the Holy Spirit tells us we need. If the Holy Spirit says you can do it, you can do it. Easy. When he first said I was going to teach a group of women a Bible study, I didn't volunteer myself, he did. I said, I can't do that. I need this, I need, he goes, no, I think you can do it. And so I just had to go before the Holy Spirit and said, you will supply all that I need, and he did. And so if he asks you to do something, you need to not require a lot of outer trappings, but just say, Lord, here am I, send me, I'll do what you say, the Holy Spirit will have all that I need. And so she required nothing to go before the king except what Haggai had given her. The Holy Spirit knows what you need. The Bible talks about how she was made beautiful. And you know, in some denominations, I know Janine told me about them, you know, holiness is equated, you know, with ugliness. <laughs> and so, or like lack of style is, is equated with holiness. And um, I remember when we had Generation Jesus and guys would come in, you know, with spike hair and earrings and, and people would think, oh, there's no way they can be serving the Lord. Look at them. Well, there's people who think if you have a lot of makeup on, you can't be serving the Lord. Well, I am. And I have on makeup today. You know, holiness and ugliness are not synonymous. There's nothing wrong with beauty. Okay. God is not against your style, but yet he wants substance. See, he doesn't want it to be only about that. He wants there to be something on the inside. And so... The Bible says Esther obtained grace and grace, the word, the very word grace gives us a picture of someone stooping from a high place, doing an act of kindness to someone in a lower place. And Esther obtained grace, the Bible says, and the king gave her favor because she did please him. And so Esther was given seven maidens. They were going to administer to her this whole process of purification, Remember, it is a process and nobody can purify you like the people around you and the people that rub against you all day and the people that say the mean things to you, they can purify you because how are you going to learn patience? How are you going to learn love without having that little area rubbed against? And so I know people who are in parachurch ministries and they look really good and they do good, but they're not around people a whole lot. But you put them around people (laughs) and what's in them under pressure comes out. And then all of a sudden, ooh, they're not so hot anymore. And so this thing about not being submitted one to another, not being accountable to other people, it doesn't work. Because if you're all in isolation, it's like somebody said, I really love God, I just can't stand people. Well, okay, (laughs) if you're around people, that's when the things in you are going to show up. And it might be the people you live with, it might be the people you go to church with, the people you work with, but there's people around you to even help with the purification process that God has for you. The Bible says that she was given myrrh for six months, the oil of myrrh. Myrrh symbolizes death. And sometimes there's a death to the old life. Myrrh was bitter to taste, but fragrant to smell. Six months of myrrh so that things can die out that you need to let go of. But in place of everything that dies, God's going to give you something wonderful and alive. And so there's a replacement of the old for the new. There's a breaking that takes place in all of us so that though the fragrance that God puts on the inside of us can come out. In the New Testament, we read about the alabaster box, and it was broken so that the fragrance would come out. Esther was like a pretty little alabaster young woman, but she allowed the things in her life that she was used to to be gone from her so that there's a, a breaking had to occur. When everything that's familiar to you is taken from you, there's a breaking that occurs, but there's a submission that occurred. And there was something about that, that when she went before the king, it was attractive. It was beautiful. It was something that, that he, he could stoop down and give her grace because he so admired it. And so there are things in our life that we don't even understand why we might go through. But when we come out on the other side, if we let God do it his way, a beauty will come. The Bible says that anointing oil after the six months of myrrh was smeared on her. Anointing oil was comprised of several things. One of them was cinnamon. I'm not going to go into that today, but calamus and cassia were two things that were in anointing oil. Calamus scented the air as it was growing. It doesn't matter if you're young in the Lord, there can still be a beautiful fragrance. You don't have to wait until you're 40 years old in the Lord or five years or 10 years, you can smell good to others when you're brand new. And sometimes you smell the best when you're brand new before you let a lot of hardness come your way. Cassia was a purple flower. It grows best in high altitudes. It speaks of royalty. And so God is saying, come up higher, come near me. You know, the people wanted to stay back on the mountain. Moses went up higher and then his face shone. Come up high, God says. And so Cassia speaks of that royalty in that high place. And so all these spices work together. It wasn't all death. It wasn't all bitter. It wasn't all fragrant. It wasn't all royalty, but there was a blend. And in your life, God will give you a balanced blend as well as the other things that you need specifically because He sees you as an individual. Um, Esther's name means two things in the Hebrew, it means hidden, and in the Greek, it means star. And you're like, well, those are diametrically opposed hidden and star. The truth is, in her, her actual given name was Hadassah, and that was the Hebrew, and it means Myrtle. But she had to change it to Esther to hide her identity in Persia, because had she been known as a Jew immediately, it would have thwarted the whole plan. But we're given a new name, too. We're Christians. But there is a time, just like Esther, we to be hidden, and there's a time when we might shine and be a star. Now, they're not necessarily consecutive. Sometimes they might be cyclical, but there's times when God says, Get, come away, come away, my love, just sit with me. You don't, don't try to do that, don't try to be that, don't try to make, you know, I want to be this, I want to be, no, God says, just I want you to be with me. And so there's a time to be hidden. But then when God says, come on, now I want you to do this, don't go, no, I want to stay in hiding. You, you have to come. And so there's this time when you've got to go back and forth, and you've got to be very flexible and malleable in the hands of God. There's times you'll be hidden, and there's times you'll be a star. And really, you need not to prefer one over the other. You need not to prefer this one or that when you need to say, whatever, my times are in your hands, God. Whatever time you deem fit for me is what I want. And so when you want me hidden, I'll stay right there. When you say, come on out, I have something for you to do. I want you to shine. I want my glory to shine through you. I'm willing to do it even if I don't feel qualified. And so our times must be in his hands. So, Dan, if you'll put up chapter 2, verse 21 through 23, I'll read it. And that's Esther chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thun and Teresh, there's meanings on those names, but we won't go into them, who were the doorkeepers, became furious and they sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, because by now she was queen, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed that these two guys were plotting against the king. And both were hanged on a gallow. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. When John taught a few weeks ago, and he talked about that night that the king couldn't sleep, and all night they read to him from the books of the Chronicles, this is what the king came upon. And this particular script thing that was recorded in the book is what made the king realize that Mordecai needed to be rewarded. And this changed the whole course of history. So there's nothing inconsequential with God. There's nothing that you do that God doesn't record and that he's not mindful of. It all matters. And so at each step along the way, you might not know how it's going to end, but know that your obedience today can make a huge difference years and years down the road. So right now, let's just say, Lord, I want to be obedient. Lord, I want to be submissive. Lord, I want to let the preparations that you desire for me to come into my life. Lord, whatever kind of oil you want to smear on me, Lord, I'm willing for it to come my way, whether it's bitter or fragrant, because I know you have a purpose for me, and you have a plan, and it's for good and not evil. So, Father, I just thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice. I thank you, God, that we do want to be like Esther. We do want the work of the Holy Spirit to walk by us daily. We do want Haggai, meditation in your word, to prepare us We do want, Lord, to be be filled with all the things that you know we have need of, even the other things that might not be something that our next-door neighbor or our friend or our husband or our wife might need, Lord, but you know what we have need of. And you will do those particular things so that you will prepare us, and we know that we will not attain but obtain grace and favor and goodness and mercy all the days of our life.